TMI's Treasury Cast. I'm Eleanor Hill, editor of TMI, and I'm delighted to have a special guest with us in the virtual studio today. It's Shoeb Yakub, who is Global Head, Capital Structure Advisory at Standard Chartered. And we're going to be talking about capital structure challenges and trends today, covering everything from working capital, of course, onto ESG. So buckle yourselves in for this whistle-stop tour. But Shoeb, before we get stuck in, um, it would be great for anyone listening who doesn't know you, if you could maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, your role and the team that you lead. Thank you, Eleanor. Great to be invited and thank you for the opportunity. It's a good question. I get asked this question a lot from our clients. And the way I explain this is that, um, you know, the, the bank in itself wants to be a strategic partner with our core corporate clients. Standard Chartered, as you well know, is primarily a debt and trade bank. I say primarily, we do have other functions like m but primarily we are a trade and debt bank, especially in uh, our network markets such as mm. Asia and Africa. For corporates that are operating in these markets, uh, capital structure is quite critical. So what the bank has basically asked me to do is basically put together a team that focuses on this and tries to provide some insights to our corporate clients. And I have the privilege of leading some very analytical bankers who pour through sector and thematic sort of research papers and company reports and try and figure out what are the next challenges for certain corporates and sectors. And so you see a lot of analytical work coming out of the team. We also have the, the luxury of then connecting this to the product suite of Standard Chartered, which is quite unique. And it helps us provide uh, some very good solutions. Yeah, exactly. It's that it's tying it together, isn't it? That research piece into then the real world. And I think you've been you've been very modest about what you do there. And you were saying you you try to provide insights, but you absolutely do. And uh, I know the readers of TMI have seen a few of your articles over the years. But I definitely recommend um, having a Google, having a look at Shoeb's LinkedIn as well, because there's always interesting bits and bobs there. And and some of the research papers you produce are kind of yeah absolutely fascinating so so hats off to you and your team so Shoaib, as I said, we're going to be talking about capital structure challenges. One of the things we keep seeing in the industry press, in headlines in mainstream press, is that corporate cash balances are at historic highs. Some some even saying corporates are hoarding their cash. I'm not sure that's necessarily the right the right verb for it. But what would you say is actually driving these very high cash balances at the moment? And what's the state of play from your point of view? What are you seeing? If you look at the single most important topic this year, it has been around liquidity levels. Uh, When we say liquidity, we mean the cash on the balance sheet and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. perhaps undrawn facilities uh, that corporates have. And they are high, if not all-time highs uh, for most corporates, most larger corporates, absolutely. But even in the lower scale, there's too much cash, perhaps. Now, it's quite understandable given where we've gone over the last couple of years. But perhaps, you know, the commentary that you're seeing in the papers, in the media is more from an investor point of view and looking Mm -hmm. ahead. Mm -hmm. I actually look at this from three different uh, lenses. The first is the COVID impact. So you saw corporates going into the market and just raising whatever they could. And uh, there was an increase in debt, but there was also an increase in cash held on the balance sheet. And most corporates right now have plenty of issuances, perhaps mm-hmm. over issuances in hindsight that they have on the balance sheet. They don't know what to do. Yeah. The second thing is more broader. I'm going to use the word transition, but the, I, I mean this more from a broader transition perspective, not just the energy and ESG transition perspective, okay. which gets talked up a lot. I think many of the sectors are going through transition. 
let me give you an example. Beyond oil and gas and metals and mining and mm -hmm. power utility sector, you can see sectors like telecom, which are trying to find what is next for that business profile. And it's not necessarily to do with the ESG part of it. It's really from the business model part of it. Yeah. And are the traditional models where uh, you had one company owning the towers as well as the, the infrastructure, as well as the 5G licenses, etc. Yeah. Is that sustainable? Are they going to be more fintech? Are they going to be more infrastructure plays? Um, it's a good question, but that does mean there's a transition going on, and Absolutely. some some of, some some corporates might stay as is, but it it there is still is a transition, and this means that there's uncertainty. When there's uncertainty, it's always good to have a buffer. Yeah. Uh, for for management, so uh, we've seen that. Net. Absolutely, we all do it. So, uh, <laughs> treasury well, we teams do, also. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Exactly. So I I, I think I, actually very good point. We all want to do it. Some people. Some corporates are not able to. Yeah. So, so I guess if there was a choice, you would see a lot more cash on the balance sheet for some of these transitioning sector. Last is this political uncertainty part as well, which is um, geopolitical uncertainty, I should say. Mm. Um, obviously, Ukraine being the latest one in the in the saga. But if if we sort of cast our minds back to well, the prior to COVID and the China-U.S. trade wars. Afghanistan uh, a few um, a few months ago, there's been uncertainty around. There's Sri Lanka right now as well. Yeah. Globally, uh, the way things are connected, there is geopolitical uncertainty that does impact some clients in some sectors. So as a whole, you see that there is a bit more uncertainty and there might be reluctance from management to let go of the cash. So, so you're absolutely right. You can almost see that uh, hoarding uh, cash might be used as a term to explain what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I uh, like you say, there's so much going on in the market and it's the confluence of these factors and the interplay of these factors that makes people concerned and, and like you say, makes them want to hold on to that cash. But there are also pressures um, from other areas to to mobilize that cash to put it to use. So in looking at it from that angle, are you seeing Treasurers being push, pushed to invest back into the business. Is that front of mind or is it about returning cash to shareholders? What are you hearing from your clients? So the so first thing that I'm hearing is there is pressure. What you said about cash hoarding, these, this is all part of the pressure tactic. Yeah. Uh, investors have done this you know, <laughs> yes. over a number yeah. of years. And there's, <laughs> yeah. there's this, uh, the, uh, you know, the management would always want to retain more um, more headroom and uh, investors want uh, cash to be completely efficiently spent and uh, businesses to be run uh, completely efficiently. Uh, we, we are seeing the same now, and I think rightly so as well. I do think this uh, situation is not sustainable. I think most larger corporates actually know this. We are actively engaged in with many to think about where, the, where this sort of normalized level of liquidity is mm -hmm. for them on the balance sheet on an ongoing basis. And then also thinking about where the cash goes. That question is actually a lot more complicated. So the first thing is, um, you know, this transition point. There's a lot of uncertainty around that, and um, uh, many of the corporate treasury teams don't know when they need that cash and what yeah. they need it for. And so keeping it as a buffer actually does have a lot of value. If we look at the past and the corporates who were able to use their excess cash at the right time, from an opposite point of view as well, there were corporates who did not have uh, the cash pile at the right times 
when they needed it mm. and consequently suffered uh, at that point. So, you know, you, there are things that we can think about uh, and th- uh, consider from our past where you would see that there is value to just hang on to some of the, that cash. But how do you think about whether it is better to invest or just yeah. to give shareholders the, the, the funds back? This is this is perhaps the key question, and I'm not going to, I don't have a silver bullet. I, I, I wish I did, but <laughs> it's, it's one of the most complicated questions to answer. Yeah. We did do a study to try and understand this in a more analytical way. So we did a total shareholder return study. And what we did was we analyzed 16 uh, sectors and subsectors uh, in the corporate space. And we looked at the last five years and basically we said the, the corporates that are investing more than everyone else in their segment, in their sector, mm-hmm. are they able to generate excess uh, shareholder returns yeah. versus corporates that are doing excess shareholder returns, are they able to return overall a better total shareholder return? So mm-hmm, if they, mm-hmm. if which one is creating more value? More value, but yeah. If, but compared to their own peer group over the same period, and it almost takes away the cyclical factor that different industries have. It's not a comparison of who has the highest total shareholder return. It's basically whether there is excess compared to the rest of the, the yeah. market. And to our surprise, the result was split 50-50. Okay. And there are there are some there are five five six sectors that were um, that had preferred shareholder returns. There were five six sectors that preferred investment in the business, and the rest were inconclusive. And I think that's where that's a very very interesting way of looking at it. Um, and that's the trouble that corporate treasurers have and CFOs have these days. So, uh, so what was the key takeaway there for you, Shoaib, from that research? What was the key kind of uh, point that treasurers should be thinking about? If business investment is still generating value, absolutely that should be your preference because mm. um, that generates value for everyone, the shareholder especially. And that's the right thing to do. Share buybacks in many ways is just reducing the size of the company. So from a management perspective, obviously that's that's not ideal. Yeah. But tactically, it can be one of the one of the moves you can play for you know one or two years. But management needs to start thinking about a longer term horizon and how investment in the business might be quite critical. This yeah. is especially especially true for the transitioning industries, and then a subset of the ESG transitioning industry industries who really have something in front of them. Uh, sometimes they might not know what that is, mm-hmm. but they do know it's coming. Okay, great stuff. Tell me a little bit more about that ESG angle though and, and how ESG plays into all of these decisions that we've spoken about. So that's my like favorite topic, uh, most popular <laughs> topic over, over, over the COVID years as well. Um, and to an extent, uh, uh, a bit before COVID, I don't think this, uh, I mean, it got... It got uh, the discussion got uh, uh, sort of front and central role during the COVID period, but it was already uh, an issue in many yeah, of the sectors. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, 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 the way I think about ESG, uh, ESG agenda is that you have three boxes, and, and and corporates have to understand where they are right now. One is the known knowns. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are things that you know are coming, you have to invest in. And you know what the quantum is, you're completely aware of that, and you can build it into your business strategy. I think this box is ticked by most corporates at now. 
maybe three, four years ago, it wasn't. But now most corporates are ticking this box. Yeah. So from the, the known issues that they have to sort out, they are sorting out. Then we come to the more difficult one, the unknown knowns. These are the 2050 targets, let's say. Yeah. So we know we not need to get there. I'm not sure if everyone knows how. Mm, agreed. Intent intentions are right, but uh, most of the times intentions are right. Yeah, uh, but the, but, the uh, practicalities of it are very different, aren't they? Yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think the struggle is we don't even know how to measure what we are trying to reduce. Yeah. Um, you know, scope three comes up so many times in these discussions, and I don't profess to be a, uh, an expert on that. But what I can say there there is this unknown knowns part yeah. that perhaps is the biggest worry for most CFOs and treasury uh, treasury teams at the moment. And that that links to the buffer again, the liquidity buffer. I do want to talk about the unknown unknowns as well. Uh, <laughs> these are this is my favorite one. These are the ones that, you know, no one knows. And the people like me only think about those, uh, you know, because we are just scared of everything. <laughs> but, but if you think about uh, I, I'll take the aviation industry, for example, we know there is a problem. We know there needs to be a solution. There is something that is happening, sustainable aviation fuel and technology advancement, carbon credits, etc. But it's not like you have a solution like renewable energy, for example. And many can argue that's not a solution either. So there is something that will happen, but perhaps the technology is not there yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is the most difficult one for any finance team to tackle. How do you yeah. tackle something that you don't know and yeah. you don't know the timing of, you don't know how how much that would be. And perhaps the only thing in this scenario uh, corporates can think about uh, beyond just the aviation sector, but that's just one example, is to be in the best place you can be, the most efficient place mm -hmm. you can be. Mm -hmm. And therefore efficiency becomes very important in, in this scheme. I don't think you can be uh, complacent and I want to come back to that point um, uh, later on because I think working capital is an interesting point uh, when, yeah. when you think about this. I also think there are some things that corporates can do to to sort of best position themselves for 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 these these known knowns, unknown knowns, and unknown unknowns. <laughs> the tongue twister. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've actually written it down to make sure I don't <laughs> get it wrong. So the first thing is the buffer and liquidity. We talked about that. It's going yeah. to be a challenge, but you need to have a business plan around that. Second thing is internal investment decisions. How are you making them? How are you looking at your return on invested capital? How are you looking at your weighted average cost of capital? How you, mm -hmm. how has that changed? And believe me, this has changed materially over the COVID period. I don't think you can use the same metrics. No, as most before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then with the rates environment, it is changing again. So what is the right way of looking at it? And one of the things that I want to talk about here is the country risk element as well, which is which gets ignored a few times, you know, over 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 the years. It's important. It's important to recognize that there is this risk to exposure to certain countries, but it is also important because you can get growth from there. So yeah. how do you balance that? You balance that by making sure your risk management around those exposures is done before it becomes too expensive yeah, yeah or yeah. before a Sri Lanka uh, type situation happens. How do you and sometimes perhaps it's you just take a long term view and that's absolutely fine. But uh, at times it there are there are uh, measures you can take 
risk management measures you can take to uh, to kind of uh, secure uh, some protection around yes. around these exposures. Yeah, so get yourself in a good position and and future proof where you can or or just be ready and be aware. I guess if if you can't. Absolutely. The last point I would make on that is long term growth is greater than short term price bump. Yeah, uh, this is the share buyback point again. I know most most corporate treasurers and CFOs know this, uh, given my conversations. <laughs> but it, this is going to be crucial, especially given the cash pile they have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the pressures they'll face. Yeah, and it's always good to be reminded. Okay, great stuff. Shobh, you you mentioned a couple of um, sort of sector examples so far. I'm just wondering, are there any other important sector dynamics that you're seeing? Any industry specific trends that it would be interesting for our audience to be aware of? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So some of the things that we did uh, when we did the t total shareholder return studies was to to look at these 16 sectors and uh, see. Uh, what the cash flow dynamics in these sectors have been over the last five years. So the, one of the things that we found was that most sectors were overspending, so they were spending more than they were generating. Okay. Which means that uh, indebtedness in these sectors has increased in this yeah. period. And when we say they're spending more than they're generating, we are talking about absolute amount of debt, unless they mm -hmm. were funding it via equity, which would be, uh, which would be quite rare. One sector that didn't do that was uh, metals and mining. Mm -hmm. um, after 2015 um, downturn, this sector especially just uh, uh, started focusing on conserving balance sheet capacity. Yeah, and they improved it. Um, it's one of the few sectors that has done that. But they also were able to generate uh, quite a good, hefty uh, shareholder return in that period because of the fact that they were they became a better, much more secure sector. So there is sometimes value for that. However. One thing that we did since we last published this was uh, an analysis uh, around what has happened over the past 12 months. And what we are seeing now is that the average total shareholder return for the metals mining sector is started moving in the wrong direction. Ah, OK. And, and that actually basically comes to the point that if you don't invest in your future, eventually it'll start reflecting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that 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 was that was one observation. The other one was that for most sectors, as you would expect, share price made up the the key factor for that determined uh, the return to shareholders. It wasn't dividends. It wasn't share buybacks. Mm -hmm. It was effectively the price of your shares going up and down, which is uh, which goes to again show that long term value generation is probably going to be your key driver. Yeah. Always yeah. is going to be your key driver. And these dividend uh, policy measures or share buybacks can be tactically important in the in the in the in the medium term, short term, but mm -hmm. they are going to uh, only be a medium term solution. They won't yeah. be able to address the the elephant in the room. We are also seeing some positive movement over the last 12 months for the what we call um, high impact, high ESG impact sectors. Okay. So let's say oil and gas. I, I mentioned metals mining going the uh, negative way, but chemicals, transportation, including aviation, yeah, and 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 utilities. Although slightly, just uh, just marginally for utilities, they are already doing reasonably well. But everyone uh, moved positively over the last twelve months. You can say this is a little bit to do with the commodity cycle as well, mm -hmm, the prices mm -hmm. where they are, but. Um, it's an interesting time for all these sectors to think about what they have available on the balance sheet 
yeah. and the challenges they have in front of them. It's good to yeah, have cash yeah. coming in, but what do they do with it? What do you do with it? Exactly, exactly. And and like you say, sort of focusing on that long-term value creation is is always going to be important. Um, but speaking about having kind of cash available and coming back to a topic that you mentioned earlier, which is working capital. Do you think that because corporates do have this cash on hand, that um, maybe working capital efficiency has dropped down the priority list a little bit? Are they maybe getting a little bit complacent? Can they afford to relax on this? What are your views? It's a very, again, a very good question. Uh, we think about this a lot because, as I said at the beginning, we are primarily a debt and a trade bank. So it's an area where we have been helping our clients improve their efficiency, improve their working capital cycles, etc. And we would say as part of our efforts as well as the clients and as well as other institutions, what you see is that most sectors are sitting at their most efficient level as well uh, in the past five years. Mm -hmm. So per our analysis, Eleanor, we have uh, at the end of 2021, 12 out of the 16 sectors were sitting at their uh, five-year best uh, overall sectors. So the working capital in, 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 in investment was at a low point. Uh, as a proportion of sales, and and it kind of represents the work that has been done to improve the efficiencies here. Now, working capital is an interesting, uh, interesting part of capital structure. It can move the other way, so it's not like you can reduce it and then just stop focusing on it. Yeah, yeah. And getting further efficiencies within working capital becomes more and more, more and more difficult. So, they, you can, you, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the focus moves away. Mm. But I, I do think it's the wrong thing to do. Working capital offers a very efficient form of capital. And it's, uh, you know, we were talking about total shareholder returns. We were talking about long-term growth. And we were talking about efficiency, cash on the balance sheet. All these things can be answered by working capital. It's a difficult thing to solve. But once done, there's sustainable improvement in yeah. uh, in, in capital base, which is great. Um, it's like you and I, you know, we would like if we can reduce our working capital of, uh, you know, sustaining ourselves, that's the cheapest way of um, funding our, 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 our lifestyles, yeah. let's say, yeah. you know, rather than taking a loan. So it makes every every time you think about working capital, you know, you, you cannot be complacent around this. I, I also want to uh, want to add here a bit of a plug for SCB. But I genuinely believe this. I think uh, corporates need partners like SCB who can solve their working capital issues globally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have that network and they have that local understanding. And we, we, you know, when I joined the bank eight years ago, one of the main things that drove me to this business was that global reach. And, uh, you know, we, we, we are we are one of the partners of choice to be yeah. able to to enable that. And we have some fantastic products and capable colleagues who can really drive this. Yeah, absolutely. And it, sometimes it's easier for someone to come with an external view and look at what you're doing 
and say actually have you thought about this rather than sometimes you get a bit blind to your your own practices or like like you were saying even from a personal point of view you know if, if you came and and had a look at uh, what I'm up to every day you could say oh you know have you thought about this and I go okay no actually I haven't so having that external resource and that expertise that you can bring from from different clients is always helpful um but show we've, we've covered an, an awful lot of ground in this podcast you've given us some great insights and, and action points already but I just wondered if we could wrap up with your final thoughts on the best ways that corporates can manage capital structure challenges that they're facing what would be your key takeaways for our listeners a few things so one of the things is exactly what you just said we should keep an eye out on what is happening in the market even if we are in a good place and a lot of corporates are in a good place uh, having uh, a, an open mind on why certain corporates are taking certain actions or going a certain way it it is always insightful uh, and knowing the why is more important than knowing the transaction itself yeah i i should be always conscious why my my peer is you know issuing a certain type of uh, uh, bond or yep. a certain type of tenor or currency or or just like just like i should be about um, an acquisition they would do and I think treasury teams should keep uh, abreast of that. We are very happy to do that for our clients and we we, we continue to be uh, sort of regular advisors to many. And it's our pleasure, of course. I th the other things that I mentioned before, but I'll just re recap for, for our audience. Um, one of them is reviewing the investment framework uh, internally. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it? Is it fit for purpose? Is it updated for the latest movements? And then what are the risk management strategies around that? Risk management needs to happen before the event crystallizes the, yeah. that you're trying to protect yeah. uh, against. And so, you know, corporates need to have faith in their policies and need to be proactive about this. It's very easy to say, oh, rates would never rise. And perhaps it was even six months, eight months ago. Yeah. It's yeah. quite, quite uh, important. I personally took out a mortgage less than a year ago. And I took two years out rather than five, which was obviously the norm. And I regret it. So, no. you know, we get this wrong every single time. And I'm sure, uh, you know, um, there are many in our audiences who've had similar experiences. Yeah. How are we thinking about this from a capital structure, corporate balance sheet perspective? Um, and now is not the time really to start thinking about doing it. The time has passed. Now it's about going through the next phase. Let's think about the yeah. future. What do you think about the future? And and there's still things to do. There's always things to do. So let's, um, uh, they should do more of that. Diversity and adding tenor is always useful, especially for the transitioning industries. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, corporates that have a lot more certainty, a lot more unknown unknowns and known unknowns, they need to think about how they can diversify their capital base and mm -hmm. add tenor, obviously spread it around as well. Again, something that we've been keen on and we've been exploring. Last thing is a bit of a repeat. It's leave room for the unknown knowns and yeah. the unknown unknowns. We don't know what those are, but we know they are there uh, for some. And then there would be some that we weren't aware of and they just hit us. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm not talking about COVID, uh, but I, I don't know what I'm talking about because they are known. Yeah, right? who knows? Exactly. <laughs> So, 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 you know, one of my clients actually said, you know, COVID used to be a one in a hundred years event, but we now assess this as one in a 20 year or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. Does, how does that change my, my view around liquidity? 
it's just fantastic question. I, I, I think that's the, the that's a line of uh, thought that a lot of our uh, our audience needs to think through. So absolutely. And if I were to sort of sum that up in, I guess, a couple of words, it would just be to sort of stay curious and stay alert and, and ask those questions because otherwise you're going to find yourself in some challenging situations. But Shoaib, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here and uh, really appreciate you sharing all of your insights. Um, for anyone wanting to find out more on this topic, do head over to the TMI website. So you'll find there an interesting article written by Shoaib, which is called Eyes on the Prize. It's all about funding balance sheet efficiency. You can see some of the research that Shoaib mentioned there as well. And as I said at the start of the podcast, do have a look at Shoeb's LinkedIn. Join him there. I'm sure he'd be happy to, to carry on the chat. But for now, thank you all so much for listening. And thanks once again, Shoeb, for joining us. It's been brilliant to have you here. You're welcome.